Hey, where have you been? Welcome to another episode of Box Flap with me, John Stanton. In today's episode, we're going to do something a little different than what you might expect with the funny voices and everything. I'm trying to get a little more focused in my life so that I can uh, be direct all energies towards success and success being success in my writing life and in my book coaching and developmental editing business. So today what I'm doing is I'm sharing with you uh, a blog post that I did at the chance.biz website, which you should check out and subscribe. Uh, I've got some writing tips there for you aspiring writers, but I also have just some fun finds that I'm uncovering as I research the 1970s and beyond uh, for my next book, King of the Waves. And anyway, this particular blog post that I'm sharing with you today uh, is about cars, and I mean real cars. This is back when they know they knew how to build cars that would never get uh, shattered <laughs> in a little bumper fender accident. So uh, I would like to briefly tell you about my first car before I share the uh, actual blog reading here. But uh, my first car was a 1969 Dodge Dart. I bought it when I was 16 years old. I took a job at the Annandale Dairy Queen to earn enough money for that car because that car meant dating, it meant cruising, it meant freedom, man, freedom. So I had to work a lot of shifts in order to earn $600 and pay cash for my 1969 Dodge Dart. And for those of you who know what a Dodge Dart looks like, you know that they're freaking cool. <laughs> okay, this one was though, really. Jacked up, it had mag wheels, tinted windows, awesome olive green glossy paint job. And uh, boy, that was that was a blast. I, I ended up totaling it. Uh, I've totaled a few cars in my life. That's a story for a different day. But uh, I did remember thinking how that car uh, represented to me freedom. And so as I'm researching the 1970s uh, and seeing, reminiscing about the great cars that have been uh, scrapped and, and junked and that are being replaced with these small, quiet, fuel-efficient versions that uh, are really not representative of the best of what we can engineer. Uh, I just, I think, man, we've we've actually gone backwards except for, for fuel efficiency. But anyway, that's my personal opinion. Uh, if you've ever owned one of these older, big cars, you just know that you, you feel safe, you know that you're going to get some pretty lousy gas mileage, but you don't mind. You know why? Because you look awesome behind the wheel of a 1976 Ford Elite. So here is that blog post from the Chance Stop His website. So check that blog post out because there are some videos and some great photos that accompany the actual blog. When Cars Were Cars, a humorous look at the 1970s Ford Elite and how it's superior to commercial airline travel. 
for my next novel, King of the Waves. I'm researching the year of 1976, among numerous other rabbit hole topics, believe me. I'm sharing a smattering of these fabulous finds to bring you with me back in time to the mid-1970s, back when they still made cars. I mean, real cars. Meet the Ford Elite with a 351 cubic inch V8 engine. The asking price started at a cool $48.79 in US dollars. But if you wanted to add some 8-track music to your life, you had to pay an extra $326. This thing is a mid-size, supposedly, but it's a boat. It's beautiful. It's got a long behind. Fuel efficient? Hell yeah. The Elite got 12 miles to the gallon. By comparison, a Boeing 747 gets about 0.2 miles to the gallon. And unlike a 747, you don't have to worry about those pesky seatbelt signs dinging on and off when you want to go to the bathroom. Don't get me wrong, the Ford Elite had seatbelts, but they were just the kind you kept buckled and sat on. And if you wanted to go to the bathroom while you were cruising, well, that's why you kept an empty jar in the huge glove compartment. There was no driver confidence package in the Ford Elite that you could add on. If you drove a Ford Elite, you already had all the confidence you needed. There was no forward collision warning system. If you ran into something with this car, you meant to do it. The mirrors weren't for parallel parking. There was no parallel parking in this car. You just made a hard right in front of the Woolworths and put it in park. Then you'd use your rear view mirror to check your look. You only use the side view mirrors to watch the state patrol saunter up to your driver's side window when he pulled you over. And when he asked, you know why I pulled you over, sir? You'd answer, because you're jealous that I'm driving a 1976 Ford Elite. These beauties are still around, and if you Google it, you can see the average current asking price is about $10,000. Well, I hope your summer is going well. I mean, I know in the, uh, at least the Northern Hemisphere, this is summer. So, uh, so my apologies to the folks south of the border, as it were. But uh, boy, it's it's going fast. Here we are already in July. I have a story I'd like to share with you about uh, me and a trough. <laughs> a trough is a container in which you might normally put Oh, food or water for animals. And they sell these at the uh, fleet and farm stores. Uh, my trough is about uh, six feet long and it's fairly narrow. And it's got walls that are maybe three to three and a half feet tall. So it's, it's fairly deep for a trough. Anywho, if you're like me, I, I enjoy a whirlpool experience or a nice body of water into which I can climb and splash around. Well, out here in the homestead, uh, we don't often have time for recreation and we also don't have access to a jacuzzi or things like that. So poor boys improvise. So my trough is my poor boy hot tub. <laughs> so I take the garden hose and I fill up my trough. 
I get my swimming trunks on and I get in the trough on a nice hot day. Well, there I was. I was reading On Writing by Stephen King. And I had just thought to myself how interesting the sound was in my trough because my head was below the metal walls of the trough. And I was hearing sounds from the upper parts of the, the maple tree that was overhead. And I had no sooner saw, thought about the sounds that I was hearing when I, all, I heard a new sound. And it was this <laughs> buzzing. And I looked up and the air was black with bees. <laughs> well, I sat up rather quickly, uh, wondering if I should make a break for it. But these bees were on a mission. They were going somewhere else. There was a whole swarm of them. And I realized with some consternation that those were my bees from one of my hives that were making a break for it. It is a part of the normal bee process. Bees will produce a, a new queen and they take a part of the, the uh, previous hive and they'll fly off and start a new life somewhere else like they're in the witness protection program. So that was uh, on a, say on a Monday. Well, on a Wednesday, I was pulling into the driveway and I happened to notice another cloud of bees. Now this was a different cloud because they don't just uh, they don't just swarm and, and move around. They swarm to a particular destination. And so this was a second swarm. And it was just fortunate that I pulled into the driveway at that time and then I saw this particular swarm coalesce. They went from the air to a small ball on a low tree right off of my driveway. And I just happened to see it that moment. Well, I was able to gear up, put my, my little bee suit on, grab a bee box, and I was able to capture that swarm by bending the small tree and banging it over the uh, new hive box. And they landed, most of them land in there, and, and the queen fortunately landed in there and that makes the other bees want to stay put. And bees seem to like the box structure. Like it gives them a little safety protection. They, they feel at home in, in these uh, box type structures. So they, they stayed put and I added them to my collection. So from three hives, I now have four. I'm not confident that that swarm hive will, will thrive um, for the winter because we do have pretty harsh winters and bees are, Sadly, are uh, um, growing less healthy over time, thanks to a lot of environmental considerations, like people spraying poisons uh, everywhere. So please, if you are spraying Roundup in your yard and such, don't do it, knock it off, please. You're not only poisoning yourself, you're poisoning everything around you. So there's your message for today, but uh, I hope you will also find ways to enjoy those hot days and maybe avoid being stung by swarms of bees. And now for something for you riders out there. I think that we all struggle with uh, certain challenges, one of them being ourselves our own mindsets uh, when we're sitting down to create something. It doesn't even have to be writing to tell you the truth, but because uh, writing is sort of in my wheelhouse, I'm going to share with you today some thoughts on writers breaking free. This again is from the chance.biz website. 
Be free, Ryder, be free. You know, from birth, we're trained. The training we received is mostly well-intentioned. It's meant to keep us safe by teaching us not to run into traffic or light the house on fire or eat Tide Pods. Well, that's how it's supposed to work. Looking at you, millennials. That initial training puts us on a training treadmill on which we're fed even more training. The kind that also helps us conform to societal expectations so that we're successfully integrated into the hierarchical power structure. While avoiding alligators and learning to get along with other people are good things, all of that training can have unintended and deleterious effects on our creative selves. In short, we've been trained to be trained, like circus lions in cages, trained to perform by puny people who require whips to keep us lions in line. The assumption remains that you're not equipped to self-actualize, or at least not on your own. Only someone other than you is qualified to direct you, correct you, and protect you from yourself. The same is true for those independent writers trying to find their voice and to learn the writing craft. The perpetual cycle of training and being trained can get in your head. Suddenly you're trapped in a cage of your own making, beating up on yourself while using the harsh language of the lion tamers. In this mindset, you will never feel quite ready to step outside of the cage. You will remain captive in someone else's circus. Well, obviously you're not equipped to take on such a monumental challenge as writing a book all on your own, the lion tamer inside your head says. You need to copy great author You need to copy great author A style or join a critiquing coven of professional lion tamers or pursue your MFA. These are all cages for us lions. Do you need to learn and study the writing craft? Yes, that is if you're interested in connecting with your readers. Maybe your spelling and punctuation are so loud. Maybe your spelling and punctuation are so lousy the grammar police keep you on a no-fly list. Well, good news. You can learn those rules without breaking your creative spirit. Or you can hire professionals to fix these things for you. Fun? No. Useful? Yes. Grammar and syntax are merely tools for storytelling. They are not the story itself. The same is true for dialogue, character development, three-act structure, pacing, inciting incidents, and every other element needed for a gripping good yarn that draws readers in and won't let them go. Those lion tamers also beat us with the idea that there's something immoral about making mistakes. A low grade on a school paper or receiving a negative review on the internet is on the same spectrum as murdering babies. Phooey. Or insert a stronger expletive here if the mood strikes you. I happen to be the kind of lion who often practices T&D, trial and error. It's not a perfect process, and often it's not pretty, but I make unusual discoveries in pursuit of my own solutions to writing challenges. There's gold in them thar mistakes. For one thing, they're your mistakes. You created them. You own them you can learn from them. The world doesn't need more caged animals. We need free and powerful beasts who amaze us with their unique strengths and yes, weaknesses. 
Get untrained and untamed. Do it your way, but do it well. Roar, lion, roar. That's going to do it for this episode of Box Flap. And yes, I know there were some stumbles in that last blog reading, but uh, I just feel like I need to move on with my day. So I'm not going to go back and edit that out. But yes, I know. Trust me, it bothers me to no end. But again, I've got to just stay focused today. So I'm moving on. I just wanted to pop in something and wish you a happy summer. I hope things are going well. And I hope you will keep on flapping.